Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Hi, Diana. How are you? Good, thank you. Good morning, good afternoon to you, evening, because it's getting dark in the other side of the pond. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is, you know, this technology is great because, you know, we can speak to anyone at any time. Um, But it has its disadvantages, which is, you know, you can't be in a real studio face to face and you know you can sort of feel the um the energy and the vibes of of the other human being in the flesh um which is what i like about medicine really because you you actually see another human being there and you and and you can feel it you know you can feel the other human being yeah i agree i think there's definitely a benefit for you know any in person but i still think you know, with video, you can feel the energy. Um, and even with audio only, you can sort of kind of hear in between the lines, you know, little inflections, little things that clue you to the energy. But um, I do agree. Yeah, person is always nicer and you have the ability to always, you know, be close, touch them, hug, all that, you know, fun stuff with patients or family or friends. But, um, you know, second best is video and it's still, you know, uh, good and gives us the global ability you know that you can just see people all the time anytime yeah so yeah. I do love that I mean the thing that frustrates me about I mean I, I don't know about you but when I have angry patients or frustrated patients um, I kind of feel that a lot uh, when I'm sitting there and it and it makes me angry and it makes me frustrated <laughs> so yeah, I, mean, I, I, I mean how I mean, I'm getting better at it. You know, I'm, 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 I'm realizing that they're angry and they're frustrated. Not, not at me. I mean, obviously, to a certain extent, they are, because of whatever situations happened uh, before they come and see me. But I realize that you know, it's not directed at me personally, so I don't have to get too angry and frustrated with them. Um, how do you deal with that? How, you know, what's yeah, your but- kind of go-to? Place. Yeah, I think there's a few things I do because I think sometimes we're a little bit of empaths, you know, we feel the energy and then we start feeling it ourselves in our body. Like we either start cringing or we start kind of reacting or we want to kind of like, you know, get mad back um, or we just start feeling in our neck like, oh, um, and we feel like a resistance almost. Um, but I think over the years, I've kind of a little bit better, you know, sometimes when people patients, you know, they're upset. I I mean, I really just kind of visualize <laughs> almost like a little Pac-Man um, that is kind of biting and kind of chewing like the energy coming my way um, just to sort of block it and keep it on their side. I was still able to, um, you know, make them feel hurt because most people when they're angry, you know, whether it's a patient or myself, you're angry because you feel there's an injustice. You feel something is not right um, and it wasn't fair or you're frustrated uh, because it didn't have the outcome you wanted. So that's why you're angry. Um, and of course, yeah, it may be not you directly, but maybe, maybe it's like how long it took to get an appointment or something, you know, something's not fair. And I think in those situations for me, I just really try to get curious and ask, um, you know, to tell me more, like, tell me what's going on. And then I'm like, you know, I hear you. I absolutely hear that is not fair. You know, it took a long time to uh, get to see me and you were suffering and you're in pain or you're frustrated or you're confused. You know, I I hear that. Uh, But then let's, you know, I'm here now listening and I want to take care of you and do the best for you. So I really want to get curious, dive in a little deeper, acknowledge what their source of anger is, and then really say that I'm there that like let's move forward and and go from there and usually you know when people feel heard and listened to you know I think that really brings down you know like the the volume or the energy that is you know a little bit aggressive but I think people want to be heard I mean whether you're angry or not angry you can just come in for an appointment I mean you want your physician to listen to you 
um, and not just like superficially, but like a little bit deeper. And and I think that's the magic when we're really with patients, we have to be present and also not get wrapped into the vortex uh, as well, because then um, it, it doesn't help anybody if we just jump in there with them and, and also get angry and start yelling back because it, it doesn't go anywhere. So, um, you know, you can be present, keep some distance of not bringing that in with you. And then when you pick out a little bit, which I do at times, I mean, I, I literally like will dance it off, shank it off um, right after. I'm like, I'll be like, ah, you know, um, because I don't want to keep that in because it's not my energy and it belongs to them. Um, and I didn't send them kind of like love and compassion, but I, I don't want to keep it on me. And and um, could you tell us of, of, of a time when you sort of jumped in with them? And <laughs> yeah, you know? I mean, yeah. It's... Or, or are there too many of them? <laughs> no, there's not too many, but it's just, you know, when I start feeling, um, you know, a little bit tense and I'm like resisting, uh, you know, the outcome is never great. I mean, I had a patient recently that, you know, came in and it was for like an elevated PSA prostate, you know, test for, you know, screen for prostate cancer. And, you know, he was, you know, just really calling passionate and, you know, telling me about all the research he did. And he just wanted to tell me to do this, to do that. And that's fine. I mean, I always appreciate actually I actually appreciate when people like read about it they ask people they come with questions I mean I appreciate that and I don't have any issue and I also always even encourage second opinions like you have to be sure um you have to trust me of what we're doing and if you don't I definitely you, they have to go to second opinion because if you don't trust me um then it's not gonna work it's not a good relationship and I'm very open about it like you have to trust me. I have to trust you that we are in a relationship. Um, if, if a patient does not trust me, uh, they really do get, like I said, that second opinion. But yeah, in that instance, I mean, I was feeling like this resistance. And I mean, I did acknowledge it and I was very vocal. I said, you know, I'm feeling like there's not a trust um, and I'm very open. And at the end of the day, you know, the patients have to decide what, what's best for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was really feeling like really tense and uh, I had to just, you know, acknowledge the elephant in the room. And then it's just, like I said, up to them. Uh, but yeah, it happens. I mean, there are people in different places and, you know, they're trying to control something and they have fear. So to so some people having all this information, it's a sense of control, you know, because like it's a, it's a scary thing. Like you don't know what it is. So you want to know everything um, in a way to control the outcome and you're not sort of trusting or letting the process be. Um, and again, it's about trust. And if you don't trust the doctor, uh, the relationship is never going to work uh, because a lot of what we do, you know, it, it's about trust. And a little bit, it's like about, let's call it placebo. I mean, when you go to a physician, just the trust you have in them will going to make you feel better. The trust that they know what to do, you're going to feel healed and better, whether you give a prescription surgery or not. And we know that a lot of the stuff we do, even the ones that have been studying the medications that, you know, uh, maybe 10 years ago, they weren't working and then we flipped the script of how that was the best medicine for this. And now we know it's not, but somehow they felt improvement you know, 10 years ago when we thought it was the best thing and now we know it's not the best thing. So how can that be? So the thing is that when we put our belief and our trust in that something's going to work, we're so powerful that it's going to bring that healing. So again, it kind of goes back to relationship. If you trust me, it's going to be okay. But if you don't, I never operate on any, you know, those patients, I really don't uh, because it's not going to be have a good outcome. And where does... Uh, trust in yourself come into the equation. Uh, I mean, I think it has to it has to be centered. I mean, it has to be trusted, trust and love, self love. Well, like self love that, for example, like you know, uh, like a little bit of boundaries too. Like I don't put up, let's say, with patients that are not going to be like kind and loving to me because I'm kind and loving to them. And if they're going to be attacking me or, you know, not being kind of loving, that's also again a relationship that I'm not going to put up with. I, I really have firm boundaries. You know, if you're just disrespectful to my staff, I mean, you've got to go. Like it's not how we work. You can't be kind to me and disrespectful to my staff. Um, and again, that's a time to get a second opinion with somebody else. Uh, and it has to be trust that like, you know, I am deserving of respect, one, that uh, I'm doing the best I can and everything I recommend, that it really comes from a place of love and care. And I'm putting my 
you know, to you, you know, in that moment, I'm not thinking about all the things I have to do. I'm being present for you. Um, so it has to come with a trust that I'm doing everything for you with the best of my abilities, right? Because we're not perfect, but in that moment, with all the tools that I have, I'm making the best decision for you. So it has to come from trust that I'm doing the right thing, that I, you know, I think I'm worthy of this, this, and that. And then, yeah, then you project it to others, but it's a, it's a full circle. Uh, have 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 you always been that way in terms of self-loving and self-trusting or was there a process that you had to go through in order to develop that I think you know I I always I've always been very curious sometimes you know that I see a lot especially women I see a lot of women like with their self-talk that is very negative or you know about their body and it's not about this size it's not because oh I'm skinny and then I love myself or you're fat you know bigger and you don't it's not about size or what you look like because everybody can find some defect let's say or something they don't like you can find plenty of people in Hollywood that you would think are perfect whatever that means and they like self-loathe you know to the max so it's not about um you know that ideal it's just about like loving yourself and I really for, I mean, for as long as I can remember, I've always felt like, you know, I, I really like, I don't have a negative self-talk like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. You know, oh, I'm too poochy here. I'm too, you know, this, that, or the other. And I see a lot of women that don't have that. And and I always wonder kind of why not, or like, why do you have this self-deprecating self-talk? And, um, and, and I'm still trying to figure out the whys, like, why is there a difference? And I don't know, but, um, what but kind of inclinations do you have, you know, sort of ideas of where it could be the kind of nebulous areas that why this is the case? I don't know. I just have like a deep knowing, like a deep. It's just like it seems like obvious to me, but um, and I don't know what the source is. I guess if you can call it, you have a connection to some, you know, like a higher source is like your inner intuition, you know, a connection that is deeper that maybe you didn't know the language for before. Um, and then slowly, perhaps you're realizing the language of what that is coming from. Uh, but I, I don't know why I always had that knowing, you know, since I was younger. And uh, I don't know why some women really continue to have a negative self-talk about themselves. And then it reflects how they then treat other women because it's very, it may or may not be surprising, but many women, you know, instead of being uplifting, supporting, like, wow, you look fabulous, you know, they're very competitive or they're like, you know, they're not supportive. They don't elevate other women and they're very much the opposite. And I don't, you know, why? But I think like if your own talk is not loving, it's very challenging to do that for other women or for a man, you know, obviously. But uh, I, I see that a, a lot, but I do think slowly it is shifting and women are really embodying their like divine, their God is their femininity and really uplifting each other a lot more, which is really uplifting to see actually. And And did you experience any female role models within the medical industry that actually embodied this um yeah that's uh, a great celebration question. of of the you know feminine within within the medical industry or is it very few yeah i don't think i had a i mean i think for role models per se i think in medicine i didn't have I don't think I had either male or woman very much, really. I mean, I didn't have like a mentor or things like that that really was like, oh my God, I want to be like them or they embody that. Um, I, I think a lot of what I saw, especially because I'm a surgeon, was more the opposite. Like women that um, did not celebrate their feminine, that, you know, didn't sort of take care of their femininity. Um, and it's not about wearing lipstick or high heels, but it's just, you know, embodying that feminine side um, that feminine leadership, compassion. It was more like, let's get to the goal and let's be number one. And um, let's not talk about like feelings. It's not that women talk about feelings, but you know, like that nurturing side, that softer side, again, the feminine, I didn't see that. I saw more of a, let's not like talk about it or uh, show it somehow. Let's kind of hide it. Uh, let's be more stoic, masculine um, in a way. That That's what I saw. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not something I knew like I didn't want to do because it's not who I am or who I feel I want to be. Uh, but I saw more of that, honestly. And, and and how did you keep your feminine side going during these times? 
I think it's just about, you know, being you. Like, I think it's, uh, you know, not even if you, you know, go through anything, it's like, you can't be a chameleon, like try to please this person and try to adapt and be like them. And like, so they like you and the other person likes you. It's like, I think you just have to be you. And so no matter what you go through, whether it's surgical training, that would be more, let's say, masculine energy or not, you have to be you no matter where you are. And then that way you don't get lost or confused or spend so much energy trying to figure out like oh what am I supposed to be like because it's just just you are you no matter what the setting um so I don't think you know it, it changed me and I you know I remember even I mean I always kind of have been like this since I was very young like you know I wore my heels or this or that and even they would laugh at me like oh I, I I'm sure you won't be wearing that when you're attending or this or that and I'm like well I still do <laughs> you know I still um, show up and I cut my hair and I do that that's just who who I want to be and have been throughout uh, because I embrace that part of me and it, it hasn't changed as I went through I just was always like the same you know no matter what setting I was kind of put into and and and, and where where does this um amazing energy come from what's What's the source? I mean, I think part of that, I mean, if, I, like I said, I don't think the mentorship was through through medicine that I saw, but I think it's a little bit cultural as well. I mean, I'm, I'm Mexican um, and Latina women tend to be, it's a little different. I mean, my grandmother was like, you know, in her 90s when she died and she still, to the day she died, you know, dyed her hair black and, you know, had her all combed. And when she would go to the grocery store, I mean, it looked like she was going to a party. She was very fancy. She was very elegant. Um, and no matter how nice I look, I, you know, she, she's like a hundred times more elegant than I could ever be. Um, and so I saw that in my grandmother. I saw that in my mother as well, always having you know, like that elegance, um, you know, and, and really, you know, how embodying that. So I think from that is where I probably got it from, you know, um, you know, we tend to wear jewelry and earrings and, you know, at least try to do a minimal of like always wear a little earring to really kind of embody that sort of femininity part. And that's a little bit cultural um, that women tend to uh, be more always uh, in that sense, uh, embodying that a lot more in the Latin community. Again, it's a generalization, doesn't apply to everything, but I, I think I got that from from that, from looking at these women in my family who who really embody that till like the day they died, really. And it and it helped you in 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 your profession, would you say? Did it sort of give you some extra uh uh what's the word? Um extra points or yeah. I don't well, know what I mean, the American terms is. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't know if it's any extra points. I mean, I think um, when you show up confident, I yeah. think as a woman, other women feel threatened. So, um, you know, I, I, I think some women probably didn't appreciate that one. And even, you know, I remember I was um, interviewing, I think for my, was it my first job, perhaps, and um, I met with like the chief of like some very prestigious department, blah, blah, blah. And um, he just looked at me in the interview, like literally up and down and said like, well, I mean, why do you even, you know, uh, want to have this job? I mean, like, you know, like kind of like you're too pretty. You have a good, uh, you know, your, your husband has a good job. Why do you even like, why are you here kind of thing? And, you know, I was just like, really, buddy? I mean, this is uh, interesting for sure. So, um, you know, sometimes when people look at you a certain way, they make up their own judgments of what they think you should be or not be. And again, like, well, that, what, what did you, what, what did you say back to him? Well, well, he looked at me like that and said, oh, you're, oh, I, I mean, I just never said, no, I mean, uh, that, that's great. My husband is successful, but, you know, I'm here for this job, you know, but I definitely uh, did not even, uh, you know, I didn't, I did not take it. I would never take it when achieve, you know, the leadership of a department is, is, you know, uh, has that attitude. I would never work no matter even how much money you would give or prestige the job would have. I would never take that job. And I did not. Um, because uh, I, I don't want to work with an environment um, that has that belief system. So um, yeah, that, that that definitely was a, a very gracious uh, gift to be able to see sort of his beliefs. And I'm like, oh, no way. You know, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. 
but some people, you know, take the job and took the job and they're like, they are like begging to be there because it's very prestigious and this and that, but uh, absolutely not. I mean, I'm not going to be, uh, you know, part of that or listening to achieve, uh, be demeaning to, to women or their achievements and, you know, just pawn it off to like, oh, the husband, you know, as well. So why would you, you know, have a job? Yeah. 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 And, and what got you interested in, in neurology? What was the, uh, what was the interest there? Urology? Well, yeah, there's not a lot of women. We're 10% that are women in the U.S., you know, maybe different in, in other countries. But I even know in Colombia, where my husband's from, the whole country had like six, six, you know, urologists that were women, and most of them did pediatric urology. So there's not a lot, uh, but it's a great field. And to me, I mean, I, I, I like surgery, and it just really went down the path of, you know, which one I liked or which personality I liked the best. And I really do love, uh, you know, old men, like old men are my favorite. And so I was like, sign me up. I mean, this is all my patients are older men. Um, why, just, why, why, why older men? Why they're just like so old? fun and they're so cute and they're just adorable. And I just, oh, they're so cute. I just love them. They're like, oh, where does like, that come from? Come on. Yeah, I don't know, cute. but they're so cute. They're just so adorable. And uh, I don't know. They're just, they're fun. But really urology, I mean, as men and women, I don't see as much as many women, but it is very rewarding to see patients for like long-term, you know, and some specialties don't have that, like a general surgeon, you take out the appendix, you never see them. But some of my patients, you know, we just celebrated five years cancer-free um, since I operated on them. And, you know, um, it's just fun to see their evolution, their grandkids, their kids. Um, and I do have some young patients too, obviously, but um, it's just fun to see them long-term and, uh, you know, do surgeries, but also treat them medically. And it's a little bit of a combination. And so yeah, I do like yeah. that, that it's not only surgery and not clinic and you can always pivot and you have the ability to do big, big surgeries or like smaller outpatient surgeries or combination or all of that. So it's interesting and it's different. Um, and there's a lot of preventative things. There's a lot of quality of life. I mean, there's a mix of all of it and it's not like too depressing. You know, it's not like some specialties are, you know, all depressive uh cancer things and diagnosing kind of heavy uh but it's a little bit mix of everything yeah but you see sort of old men penises that's not you know that's not so i don't know is that fun oh it's, i mean it's like <laughs> yes i've seen a lot of penises yes i'm an expert on that um but i think but, you know old men penises you know they're all a bit they, <laughs> but, they yeah, stop working like, and yeah but then you fix them so there's like magic oh. Help them you fix them you have their quality i mean that's what we do right we help them get an erection and you know you talk about things that are important because you know men you know if you know when they have problems with erections i mean society ties so much of their worth to their erection so if their erection is not there like their self-worth just plummets and i think it's important to you know like and, and also like if if you don't have good erections i mean your sex life does not have to end. I mean, like penis, vagina, sex is not the only type of sex you can have. There's so much other stuff you can do and use. So, you know, our society just puts so much emphasis in like the fact that if like you're, you don't have an erection, your worth is gone, one. And two, that there's no other thing you can use or do to have a great like relationship, intimacy, or sex life. So I think it's, you know, nice to be able to also tell men and say like, you know, you're worthy, like, you're not broken because your penis doesn't work at this you know stage in your life or whatever and i think that's important to say and not a lot of people will and i don't know if another male colleague will say that to their patient um you know in a way and i think in a way my voice is unique that i can say that in like in a loving way because when men come yes of course they're worried but at the end of the day deep inside they sort of want to know that they are worthy and they are you know still you know okay you know like there's nothing like they're not worthless at this point in life because again we tie so much worth to a man uh with an erection it's just really interesting uh, as a society you know we do that all the time yeah it certainly helps when it comes from a beautiful woman you know as a man and you know i think you're in that sort of ideal situation where yeah you can raise a lot of hopes for men around the world so well, it's just, I think we all it's have, awesome. yeah, we, I mean, it's like for men or for women for this, I mean, for women too, I mean, there's so much stigma, like, you know, that they're not sexual active or how much sex should they should be having. And, you know, there's so much stigma too, like, 
it's, it's also to tell them like, you're okay. You don't have to have sex every single day, five times a day to be worthy or have painful sex because as women age and they're in menopause, if they're not taking care of their vulva and it's dry and it's painful, nobody wants to have sex, but then they're told by society um, and by some expectation that they should be having sex and uh, they're broken and not normal if they're not doing that every single day. And that's not the reality. So again, also to tell that to women, is really important and to say, you know, it's okay. Like you are worthy not to have sex every day. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, you're not broken either. So I think that's important. And whether we're talking about sex or other things, you know, I think that there's that kind of power of like, you know, healing with, that, you know, like you talked about the presence in person, but you know, whether in person or virtual, I think, you know, telling people, you know, it's okay. And just being present and listening to their fears. Again, yes. When you come as a Got as a man with erection problem, there's a fear below that. Um, even even a woman, like there's a fear I'm not enough, or even like an exam, like you know, I I show them their um dental air with a with a mirror so they know where to put their creams and things like that for treatment. And so many women are like they don't want to look and they're like you know embarrassed and this and that. And it's like, you know, it kind of goes back to the question about like self-love and like, do you look at yourself, man or woman, you know, in the mirror every day and really not narcissistic, but like just say like, I'm beautiful. Like, doesn't matter if you have the stretch marks, doesn't matter if this, you have like the crow's feet. I mean, that there's beauty in that. Um, you don't have to hide it and say it's shameful. And, um, and so it's like about loving yourself, no matter what it is. Cause again, we all have things, you know, like I have a little, you know, stretch work here. I mean, I have children, so I don't hide that. I'm not embarrassed. It's part of me. And, uh, I think we just have to embrace our beauty, you know, um, it, without the superficial, but there's inner beauty. Cause this is just like the little package. And um, yeah, you can have a great package and that's great. That gets you for people to buy your package, but what's inside is the most important. You know, this will fade or get different looking. Um, and that if all your worth is this outside, you know, that that's not, that's going to be changing, you know, and then people may not like that, but what they really, you know, hope they like is your inside, like your true light, your true love, that presence. I think that's the most important one. And, and, and how do you kind of cultivate this sort of inside self, love yeah i mean sometimes i think you know when i was a when i was little you know a, ch a child you know people were very loving and always for example told me oh you have beautiful eyes oh how beautiful your eyes and when i was little i mean obviously i say thank you and i still do because people are very kind and you know i appreciate the compliment but it always made me think when i was little which is odd but i was like hmm well if i didn't have eyeballs would i still be beautiful you know because i it's not my eyeballs, <laughs> you know, that, you know, I was like, that's interesting. So if my eyeballs were gone, would I, would you still say that to me? Um, if there were a different color, because obviously in Latin America, there's not a lot of people with light eyes. So, it, you know, it sort of stands out. So I, I just had the thought. And then I guess I probably made a decision, like, it doesn't matter what my color, my eyeballs, like, you know, it's like, that's not where my beauty is. Uh, again, it may get you in the door, it may get you you know, maybe that interview or people would like respond better because we do know that reality in the study show that people that look a certain way may get, you know, you know, more of the interview or more of the job just because of the outside. But at the end of the day, if you get that job, you got to back it up with something else, right? Like your brains, your work, your inner something. So um, yeah, I'll get you somewhere, but you know, there's more to that to really be kind of like a long lasting um you know thing uh where you have some depth and some substance yeah 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 and 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 um you know you like this whole notion about sort of human first um you know rather than sort of any other thing um i mean what makes the human being so unique what 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 is it about us that 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 you attach love to Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know. I hope that's not too deep. <laughs> no, it's like we're imperfect. We're a journey. We all yeah. have like so many imperfections and so many, like everybody triggers us in different ways. And so we're all trying with our own traumas and triggers and things to try to like navigate this and, you know, try to, you know, kind of work together, work alone, whatever, and try to figure it out. Like right at some point, some people may 
get to a point where they say, well, what's the purpose of all this, right? Like, why are we here? Some people will never maybe get there. And that's okay. There's no judgment on that. We're, some people just always want to get, get, get and accumulate and get the status and the accolades and the diplomas or the money uh, or the fame. And that's all, that's like the purpose. Like there's nothing else, just money, money, money or whatever. And that's, you know, people have their journey. I'm not judging that's good or bad or whatever. It just is. Uh, but then there's some people that may just think about, you know, what are we here for? Um, and I think, think we kind of get at different stages there are these gifts like called burnout and then you pause and think about like whoa well, like what's the purpose of why am I here then there's like cancer diagnosis or there's a death and these are kind of big stop signs where we get kind of like a wake-up call and say okay like are you going to pay attention are you going to pause and think about these deeper meanings um these deep, deeper reasons why we're here and uh, are you going to do it or not? And and so I think these are fantastic gifts we get. I mean, I got burnout twice and it was a great gift to really stop and think about it, to really spend time to quiet down, to uh, really dive, dive deeper, you know, into just not more than coaching and awareness. That's important, but like deeper. Um, and then we start seeing like all the magic of, you know, abundance and the universe and interconnection. And again, how we're all trying in our best of our abilities, but we're all like flawed and triggered and traumatized and this and that, but we're all trying. So let's be, you know, loving as much as we can. Let's be present for others, you know, as we go through this journey, because it's really short, you know, we're going to like die at some point, you know, we don't know when, um, but if you're like at 40, I'm 42, like, you know, there's maybe 40 years and that's it. So let's try to live every day to do the best we can. Um, and it doesn't have to be some big thing, but every day you can be kind every day. You can be present every day. You can be compassionate to the checkout girl, at the grocery store, who's having a bad day and you can be kind to her and you can make a difference. You know, you can do little things every day that doesn't have to be becoming president or something huge, but it, it could be your scaffold to, you know, um, a better place for others and for yourself. Tell us about your first burnout. What happened? Yeah, my first burnout was different. Um, it definitely, I got to a place where I just, my brain was very foggy. I I couldn't decide what to do for a patient. Like I'm a urologist, so, you know, we put catheters all the time, you know, little tubes so you can pee. And I couldn't decide if I should put it on this patient that was had a complicated history or not because he had an artificial sphincter. So anyway, I didn't want to, compromise the sphincter with a catheter this and anyway I just could not decide and then I was like this is ridiculous I mean I do this all the time and I can't decide and it seems like this really complicated decision and it's not and so I thought something's definitely wrong I mean I must have like maybe a diabetes maybe a thyroid problem something is wrong that my brain is foggy and I just can't think and I'm just like ah um and so I went to the doctor and then you know he basically said Oh, here's your Zoloft, you know, um, this is what's going on in your brain, this and that. And I'm like, what? I was like, check the sugar again, you know, check this out. And, and, and it wasn't any physical thing. It was just my mind with the chronic stress, just spinning and spinning. And, you know, sort of that hierarchy of like burnout, you know, you can start with anxiety, apathy, then, you know, you kind of freeze and then you can collapse, right? Like we just, you're just collapsed. You're not going to get up. So I wasn't there yet, but it was probably getting there. Uh, so that, yeah, I went to my Zoloft, I went to therapy and I definitely, you know, got better and got off of my meds um, and therapy and it was very helpful, but I didn't really kind of have any practice or anything different going forward after that. And so the second time was actually a lot different and it was the chronic manifestations of stress, like in the body. So stress is really powerful. And I think even before I went through it, I didn't really think about it, believe it, uh, address it even with my patients at all. Um, but stress is so powerful and how we put our attention or intention to things really colors our disease or our wellness. So for me, I had, you know, insomnia, I had reflux, I got asthma diagnosed, which is crazy at 42. Um, I had a chest pain that was debilitating. I had, I began to have a joint pain. So then my rheumatoid, um, factor was elevated, which is an autoimmune disease for rheumatoid arthritis. And it was all like an energetic bomb in my whole body. And, you know, it was very different. So I had to 
basically change what I was putting my attention to, my intentions to, uh, what I was focusing on. Was I stopping that fight or flight response every day and scheduling time to you know calm down and bring down all that stress? And I didn't change anything except my thoughts. And I don't have any of those things anymore. And I sleep well and I don't have reflux and I'm not taking meds for that. And I don't have chest pain and you know all this stuff. So it's really powerful. And we know that 80% plus of doctor visits also going to specialists and primary are stress related and that it really affects our health. Um, and you know, I see obviously the bladder and this and that, how it manifests, but like stress causes your overactive bladder. And if you don't address that, it doesn't get better long-term. Um, yes, I can give you medications for your bladder, this and that, but like you have to address the greater problem because they're also going to the five other doctors for their palpitations and their, you know, uh, bloating and intestinal problems because it's all stress related. And, you know, we want that pail. We want that doctor to tell us this will fix it, but you kind of have to do the work and, you know, change something to decrease that stress. So what, what, what was the underlying stress and what did you change in order to overcome? Yeah, I don't think there was anything specific that was the underlying stress, but obviously, I mean, it was COVID and the COVID fear. I mean, I know uh, we talked about it before, you know, how you dealt with it and how you were very calm through it. Um, And I think I was completely the opposite pull, but I was, you know, in a state of fear. Um, My fear scale was like off the charts. So it was just more like the fear. So then you're, it wasn't like a stress, but it was a fear. When you're in fear or stress, whatever, either one, your cortisol is like off the hook. And then for me, it was like the fear of COVID, of like, I'm going to die, what's going to happen, you know, uh, more with that. And, you know, going on Facebook every morning and or at night, reading for like an hour of the news, which is absolutely not helpful at all. Um, and so I don't ever read anymore, any of that. And I spend time in you know meditation or other things in my morning or my night or doing gratitude journals instead of like, reading the news because it wasn't helpful at all. And it was just putting me in a state of stress, alert, you know, hyper vigilant state. Um, so, so that was for me, it wasn't a stress. It was more like a fear. Um, and it's still activating the same response where your cortisol is like, you know, going off the hook. And, and this is a fear of loss of life for yourself and the consequences. Just, yeah, of- I mean, yeah. I mean, like what's going to happen. I mean, like we didn't know, you know, anything about it, you saw, you know, doctors just falling and dying from like, you know, the, the ER doctors that just died and they're young. And, you know, are we going to get a vaccine or what's going to happen to us? People get intubated. I mean, as I empath, I just started reading everybody's story as I started reading everybody's fear. And like, it just got amplified um, in me, like their fears, their, uh, what they were seeing, what we didn't know. Um, so I was just kind of picking up all this sort of energy, like you said, like you pick it up with angry patients while well, I was picking up everybody's fear um, and not protecting it uh, and kind of separating. That's theirs, it's not mine, but it just got amplified. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And 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 how did that break? How, how, how did you break that? I mean, you know, yeah. you mentioned a few things, but what was yeah, the I mean, kind I, of... I think- the turning was, point for you yeah it was just in a negativity vortex i was very negative i was just everything's terrible um and so i was really circling in those thoughts and you know my husband said you know you really are acting like somebody at work that you know you work with that is you know sort of debbie downer and um i was like what no you know what do you mean um and then i kind of rolled my eyes and i turned around and then i was like oof you know that's you awful. didn't strangle him did you you didn't yeah <laughs> I, I didn't strangle him but i was like no but you know and then i'm like oof that that kind of stung that that's awful that's that's not fun and then i had to think about like well do i want to be that am i that and i definitely was and then i'm like i'm not present for my kids i'm not present for anybody because i'm just like my 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 debbie downer and I'm just in stress mode. And so what am I going to do? So, I mean, for me, I started like getting into coaching, listening to podcasts about it. I became a certified life coach. And that's step one, again, about awareness. You have to be aware. You have to come out of victim mode, you know, and that's a huge kind of step for a lot of people. Are you a victim or you're a creator of your reality? And are we going to blame everybody for everything? Or are you going to take some radical responsibility for things? And that's huge for people to get out of that. And that... Again, coaching can get you kind of to that step. Um, but then again, then later it's diving deeper to like spirituality. But I mean, how how how, how did you come to that realization that you need to take uh, radical responsibility? 
what gave you that? What, was it something that you knew before, but you did take the steps? No, or? no, I think I did not know that that at all. That was definitely something that like learned, and I mean, it's kind of part of like coaching in some ways. So some of it, mm. it's not spelled out that much, but it is part of part of it. But yeah, I just have to be like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm responsible. Um, I create all this. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I had to be like awareness. And I started reading a lot. Uh, I used to read a lot when I was younger for fun. And I kind of stopped reading, you know, except medical stuff, of course. But um, I what started What sort of things did you read? What sort of things did you read? Uh, kind of everything. I mean, like, I started diving into like the kind of neurochemistry, what happens in your brain, like Buddha's brain, um, just like, um, you know, just different books about like what's happening in your brain uh you know everything and anything like about things about intuition and um things about like spirituality Eckhart Tolle I mean like all kinds of uh different things um some books about like empowerment and women this I mean different things but just kind of getting a breath of like you know going deeper into what's really happening in the brain um things about mindfulness uh and you know some kind of coaching principles things like that so you know, just kind of getting more educated, kind of opening your mind up and, and, and getting new ideas uh, about everything, kind of making the connections of what's happening. What are the manifestations of stress? What's the research? You know, um, all, all that, that that is happening. So, um, you know, all that. And, sort and, of and, and, and who's your favorite coach? Who Who is someone that you really love and go back to? For coach-wise or for? Yeah, for yeah, me? coach. Yeah. Who's your favorite coach? I don't think I have a very coach per se. Um, yeah, I don't think I have a, because co coaches is such a big word um, and kind of like everybody's a coach. So I don't know if I have a favorite, um, but yeah, I'm going to have to think about that one. I'm going to think I try to get a little bit of, I like to get, you know, what take, take what works and leave the rest. So I'm not like a blind groupie that, oh my God, everything you say is like a love. I'm going to try to get something that I like from each and kind of apply it and what works for me and what doesn't, you know, I let it go. So I don't really have a favorite per se. I like some things that some people say, and then I use that and some of the stuff I'm like, Oh, I don't know about that. You know? So it just depends. Fair enough. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> and, 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 um, I mean, have, have you been able to translate that into your, into your clinical practice currently? Yeah, I mean, I think I I have now since my burnout to become like a little bit more of like a psycho urologist, which what I mean by that is, you know, I really just address like the elephant in the room, which is stress. And then again, I mean, I, I do this like all day, like they come in and their bladder pain and this and like, it's not an infection, it's not anything else, but I'm like, hmm, interesting. So tell me, you know, like this always started like eight months ago. I'm like, okay, tell me more. Like what happened maybe like right before? And then they tell me about how their business like tanked and how like five people in their family died or, you know, all these stressors that they're carrying. And, you know, then all these symptoms started, you know, like really right after. So then I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about that. And like, what can we do? Can we do like a mindfulness practice? Can we do gratitude? Can we go hiking? Can we walk outside? Can, you know, what can we do to really change things? Can you tap into your spirituality? Like, do you have a spiritual practice, you know, and really addressing that um, more than just here's your medication, you know, see, or here's your Botox for your bladder, you know, see in three months. So um, I just have changed a lot more that I try to address that a lot more. Cause again, if you don't, it just doesn't get better. Uh, people get frustrated. A lot of urologists, for example, the thing that they hate the most is like testicle pain. Like that consult for testicle pain is like, oh God, please no. Like, I don't want to do that as a general rule. And I wonder like why? Well, it's because it's frustrating for us as urologists because we're like, here's your ibuprofen, um, get in some warm bath, I'll see you later. And it doesn't get better. And then you're frustrated because like they're still saying their like testicle hurts and like everything's fine on like any exam you do. And so it's just disappointing. And as urologists and doers, we want like that result. We want to like, you know, do something and make it better. Put a catheter and then you can pee or do the surgery and you can pee. So when you don't get that like immediate gratification, everybody gets frustrated. But testicle pain, perineal pain, it's all because the muscles that hold up your blood or your pelvic floor muscles that hold up your blood, your prostate, they get so tense. Just like if your shoulders get tense from like typing or doing that, that that tension that you carry from the stress that lands and stays there, it causes 
the testicle pain, the penis pain, they have like bladder pain. And so you need physical therapy. Sometimes you may need like a muscle relaxant, like, you know, vaginally or rectally if you're a man or woman and you need to decrease the stress. And if you don't do that, it won't get better. But if you just give Motrin and warm baths, it's also not going to get better. So we got to address all these things up to a deeper level to truly get, you know, healing. And patients come also frustrated many times because they say, oh, my bladder hurts, this, that. They've done all these tests or I have this belly pain and nothing comes up and I'm still suffering. And it's like, because it's not going to be found on a scan. This is not an organ problem that you can visibly see. This is like an energetic problem of like the stress and all that, that is not visible, but is really real. And so until we have maybe different tests or we're testing for something different, you're never going to find it, but it's absolutely real. And it's causing you your illness and your disease. And and what's your uh, urology colleagues reactions to you going into the field of psycho urology? Well, I don't know if I, you know, I, I say, oh, I'm a psycho urologist as, as my practice tagline, but um, you know, I don't know if they, I mean, I don't know if they know how I practice or don't. I mean, I just take care of patients and, yeah. you know, this yeah. is how I practice. Um, so, you know, I don't know if they, what their opinion is about it, but um, whatever I mean, it, it sounds is, interesting. I mean, it sounds interesting, yeah. you know, top and bottom coming together and, you know, creating magic. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like people will, I mean, whether it's that or anything else alive, people are going to have their own opinions, right? So they're yeah. going to think you're crazy. It's awesome. It's the best, whether I'm doing that or anything else in life. And so that's great. Those are like your opinions. You can keep them or you can also share them, but they don't belong to me. Um, you know, if they have some value, I'll listen to it and I will, you know, explore it and, and take it into account. But if it's coming from some hate or some fear, like I'm not going to listen to that because it has no value. Um, but I know that what I do is coming from love. And um, and so then whatever I do is from love. So I'm okay and I can go to sleep, you know, every night, knowing that the actions I take or the things I'm doing are coming out of love. Um, so I'm okay with whatever people say, because uh, I know where I stand in my, you know, my thoughts or my purpose or why I do things. So, I mean, I think for anybody like, you know, people will say all kinds of stuff because we're judging machines. Our human brain wants to judge that's what we do but like you know take it or leave it if it's not useful you can just you know crumble up that opinion and like flush it in the toilet yeah yeah and you know you mentioned energy and you know um i see that you're interested in in reiki practices yeah so I mean, there's... I my, there's like three levels for reiki reiki means universal energy and it comes from right. um you know japan and basically it just means universal energy and i there's three levels for it and i i've done the reiki level one i'm going to do reiki level two it's just about learning about energy and how like you could use that as a healing modality so um it's not like i practice this because i'm just starting to learn about it but i think you finding it useful good. well i think and um i mean i think we kind of practice that without saying mm. it's reiki like you were talking at the beginning you're there in person and you feel it and you kind of put that healing vibration like that healing thoughts for your patient that's reiki i mean it's like reiki means transferring of you're really transferring energy you're a conduit you're not you know you're just letting the energy flow from source from god through you to somebody else but we do that all the time if you truly are a healer if you're just a technician or you know surgical technician or whatever yeah you're just like doing your right but if you truly are trying to like heal you do that all the time whether you know it or not, you are sending that good energy, that healing that they want you to get better to your patients all the time or to friends or family. Uh, we just didn't know it's called Reiki, but now if you have the language, we're like, oh, that's Reiki. So um, I think I kind of intuitively have done it without knowing what it is or isn't. And it's just kind of learning more things about it and you know learning new skills because like why not why wouldn't i learn new things um so so i find it interesting yeah yeah i mean for sure i, I think you know the energy of the room certainly has a plays a big part in the uh you know in the whole consultation um definitely and um you're quite you know you're quite active on social media where where does that come from is it because you know you are a um you know, beautiful Latina woman and, you know, they're quite social and out and about and no, I think themselves. 
Yeah, I mean, I really wasn't active in social media at, at all until like probably last year. So last year when I went through my burnout too, I used writing for my healing. So um, I was had never written anything in my life um, and I decided to write in Kevin MD, which is a platform in the, you know, in the US, but you know, it's everywhere, but um, where anybody in medicine can write articles and they get published. And so I wrote my first article just for my own healing. And then from there, I just started writing, 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 you know, many articles, you know, in Doximity and Medscape and, you know, in many, many outlets, just really because it heals me and it helps me and it helps me process, you know, sort of like my emotions. So if you write something you want to share with others, and I'm like, well, then I'm going to share it on LinkedIn. I'm going to share it here. And then, um, you know, I had Facebook already. So I'm like, I'll share it in Facebook. And then I got into Twitter, um, which I still kind of try to figure out how to use it. And then I'm like, I'm going to do Instagram because now I want to like do movement and silly dances and have a good message. And I love to dance and move. So I'm like, well, why not? Um, so I just did it because that's just a way to share the things that I'm writing and share messages. Um, and that's really the only reason. So, so more people can know about these things because, you know, stories are important. They bring us together. You're like, oh, I went through that too, or that was useful. And since I started physiciancoachsupport.com, which is a platform for any physician to come get support by a peer who's a life coach, you know, it was just a way to let other people know about it. Because if nobody knows about it, nobody is going to get benefit from it. So social media has just been a way to, you know, share what it is, share it with others, let them know it exists. So, you know, they can come get support because burnout is real. You know, we're all suffering and, you know, we're depressed and apathetic and making mistakes at work because we're burned out. And so it's like, well, get do something else, do something different, get support. You're not alone. You don't have to go to admin. This is confidential, you know, so just something to do um, to help others. Um, so it's just been a platform to share that, to share the writings I had um, and to connect with amazing people, right? Like that's how we connected. But if I wasn't in LinkedIn, if I didn't hear uh, a podcast you were in, we have not, we would have not connected. So I think it's just a beautiful way. And it's just a tool. You know, you can use any tool for good or bad. You know, you can be on Twitter and have a, you know, big fest of negativity and slash people down and tear people down. Or you can use it for good. Um, and that could be about money. You know, you could use your money for good and do charity or help. Or you could, you know pay for a prostitute or child pornography or whatever you use all these tools for good or bad it's not the tool it's how you use it so um to me has been you know positive to connect with you know amazing people otherwise i would have never met and and what was your biggest sort of surprise of of sort of going into that sort of aspect of social media and expressing your your experiences and burnout and yeah, I think, I mean, just how, you know, you can find really amazing people. And then sometimes you can also meet them in real life, uh, which is kind of fun. I mean, obviously we had COVID, so some people were, we were not as, you know, in person, but um, having had met them, having also seen them in person, it's just fun. And, you know, just realize like how big, you know, what I'm is like your little circle and your little small world, you know, when you open it up, um, it's amazing. And Again, I have my podcast with uh, Dr. Nubi Aurora, who's in the UK as well. And who would have like known that we could do it and we do a live stream and it, and it does not matter the time difference, you know, because we could do this virtually. So it's just, it's just been fun. It's, it's been very positive, but obviously there's always some dark sides. I don't think I've really experienced them yet, but I'm sure they will come. And of course you get haters and you get people getting triggered and saying things well that's you also have haters that. come on you can't have haters <laughs> yeah sometimes i get them not, i mean not not often but i do uh i get, get these haters uh usually it's women yeah it's usually women that say something and i'm like okay that's interesting you know uh, okay I, I i hear your point uh i have a what's the day. most what, what what's the most horrible thing that they've said to you that you can share with us no i mean i, I mean i i, I write about pro providers i say i'm not a provider and um, because I am a physician and not a provider, and there's a whole thing you can read about why, um, you know, physiciancosupport.com. But um, I had a lady on Twitter say, like, really, honey, you're going to die on that hail or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I will. Like, you know, like you do you and you be passionate about your causes. I'm like, I'll do whatever I want to do. You know, it's like, 
like if you have nothing uplifting to say it's like you're like it just reflects on you when you're not loving to somebody else it just shows like you're broken inside and you're not doing well because anybody that is well anybody that's like truly loving is not gonna say junk to like strangers on social media or anywhere um so i had that i had another nurse practitioner i think it was tell me how it was revolting it was full of ego and at the same time she said you know i can like run laps around the physicians as a nurse practitioner and I have more experience than they. And I'm like, that's interesting. You're accusing me of ego, yet your statement is reeking of ego saying you're better than a physician. And it's like, okay, like that's interesting. So, I mean, the stuff that I said, is just sometimes it's a little funny, but I'm like, okay, that's interesting, you know? So, you know, I, it is what it is. People can say what they need to say. They need to get it off their chest. They need to like let out the hatred or whatever at the end of the day, it reflects on who you are, not on me. So, uh, but I will like listen to people. I mean, people have valid points. Sometimes maybe if I miss a mark, I'm like, oh, okay. Maybe I could have said things in a different way or a better way. Um, but I'm not gonna like have my life and my self-worth crumble over somebody's like hate. And 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 what why why did you, did you call yourself the Supernova Sisters? What's, what's oh, that about? Supernova. Yeah, well, Supernova because uh we have a lot of energy uh Nupi and i we're just like very energetic we're like oh, sometimes we get like really uh excited and um you know it's a lot about energy you know just like the physical when we get excited and just like the deeper energy and really about you know connecting your mind body and soul and that's energy so um so that's supernova and it's explosion we both come together um and we're sisters because you know we really love each other like sisters um physicians in motion because we're physicians and we're always like you know moving and we want to move our mind our thoughts our body it's about like movement and um you know keep moving forward and and, and how did you two meet together what was the story there yeah we met on social media <laughs> so i was watching one day a podcast by our colleague tamara beckford and she had on there dr jeff o'driscoll who is a retired er physician who is like um healer like clairvoyant i mean uh, he's just an amazing person and i heard their interview and i had never heard like a physician talk about this stuff and i'm like who is this man like what it was like really powerful the story he said in the podcast was like extremely powerful and so i was on there and i was just typing like oh my god who, like what i can't believe it and then somebody in the chat was also blowing up the chat saying like the same thing and so I was like, who are you? And that was like for Nupi. And then from there, we just connected. And I was like, I need to get to know you. And we connected and we love each other. And like the rest is history. <laughs> have, have, have you two met sort of physically or? No, because she's in the UK. But hopefully she'll come for her 50th birthday to the US. But she's in the UK and I'm here in Los Angeles. But hopefully we will. So that's worth, you know, you know, a bit of uh, video or some kind of content. I'm, I'm sure that'll be quite exciting to watch. Yes, yes. We wanna we wanna get glammed up. We wanna get in person and definitely record that for posterity. But yeah, it should be really fun. Cool. Well, I mean, it's been absolutely awesome. Um, really interesting um journey. And um, yeah, just just wonderful energy. And I mean, it's a pleasure, you know, seeing you and watching you. And you know, I am an old man myself so you know if i if, See, if, I love if <laughs> you know if i need any sort of urology uh stuff i'd definitely be coming to you for sure yeah you come you come. You know we'll yeah yeah you know i want that erection yeah. to keep working sort of thing you know anything anything <laughs> anything and anything we don't judge we just help you so but yes i really appreciate i mean i have uh, listened to your podcast and um the other interviews done and other ones and i just love that you know, deeper components or deeper questions. Um, they're just, it's just interesting. It's fun. It's important to really pause and think about that and not just all the superficial, you know, stuff and just, you know, deeper. Like, I think that is what feeds my soul to speak with people that really want to dive deeper and, you know, more to medicine than just like the surgical stuff and the transcribing. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate your voice. I appreciate what you're doing. Um, you know, I love to uh, I love hearing your voice and your thoughts and uh, your opinions about things. So I'm so grateful for. Um, oh, that's very kind of you. That's very kind. Uh, mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting that. And and yeah, I mean, I certainly concur that that you know I I think the um, the sublime and the sacred language 
um, does go a long way in into sort of talking uh, talking about these deeper issues. And you know, it's a great relief. You know, it it does touch us more inside, and it allows us to connect with other people on a on a deeper level. And and other human beings realize that, and they can feel that. And I think that's where the magic and you know the healing occurs. Um, I'd like to end on sort of this question. Um, so what would your advice be to the young Diana who's about to start medical school? What would your three top tips be her, uh, be to her given that you've experienced what you've experienced over the last few years? I think it's like, I mean, it's kind of what I did, but it's like, just be you, you know, like there's no need to ever change anything. Be you, um, trust your intuition, which I think I, I, you know, I have always trusted that, like what feels, and that's mean, like what feels right. It's not like thinking, like we're always thinking up here in the head, but it's like, what feels right? What feels peaceful in your body? Uh, listen to, you know, what works for you and, you know, just like stay true to yourself, really. Um, that That's the major thing for, for me or for really anybody, just you know, don't worry what people say. It doesn't matter. It doesn't define you. You define you. You love yourself um, and just keep going, you know, like just keep going, stand proud. Don't shrink to, uh, you know, for, for other people, you know, just stand proud of who you are because, you know, you're worthy, you're beautiful, you're powerful. Not just about me. I'm saying like about telling that to others, um, to believe that, to really, really believe that. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Diana. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to, to be with you this morning and afternoon for you. <laughs> Evening.